When my son Dylan was growing up, our house, sports were a big thing. And you can imagine having a couple of guys in there, we'd get pretty competitive at times. Every little thing became a competition, especially when a game came on TV. It was mostly basketball, but there'd be other sports. But as soon as a game would come on, guess what Dylan was? He's four, five, six years old. Guess what he would say? Okay, daddy, let's choose teams. I said, okay, son, you pick. And guess what team he chose every single time? He chose the one with the best record. He chose the one he'd heard was the best. Or if we got to the game late, he would choose the one that was leading. I'd say, now Dylan, are you sure you want that team? <laughs> Records can be deceiving. Sometimes things change in the second half. He said, no, Dad, I want that one. I want that team. Well, like I just said, things can change in the second half. He'd pick this team. It'd start to fade in the second half. And there'd get, be, get to be a point where he knew his team was going to lose. And guess what that sweet little boy would say to me? He would have the saddest little eyes and he'd go, Daddy, can we switch teams? (laughs) You know, we chuckle about a young boy who says he wants to be on a winning team. But really, isn't that human nature? As adults, don't we want to be associated with a winner? For instance, if I ask you this question, if I said, if you could choose any Bible person besides Jesus to be, to emulate, to follow, who would you choose? Would you say Jezebel, (laughs) Judas, Simon the sorcerer? No, we would choose what's considered a a winner, (laughs) a hero. We'd say Abraham, we would say Paul, Moses, you know, whomever, because these were great men of faith who held firm and were really great guys. Well, you know, I've thought about that before. If I could choose a Bible person to be, who would I choose? And all those standard answers came to mind. But I'll never forget one time years ago in an academic setting, a professor challenged us to consider a person I had never contemplated before as somebody who would be worthy of emulation. And I want to offer this person for your consideration today. What about Judah? You may say, who's that? I'm going to show you. (laughs) But again, what about Judah? And I want to show you why I offer him as a option from Scripture. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open them to Genesis chapter 37. Or your phones or pew Bibles. Let's dig in the Word together. It's not going to be up on the screen. We're going to read it together from God's Word. Something unique today. Genesis 37. Now, I want to set up the context a little bit. We can't read the whole thing. Jacob is this father. He's got a bunch of kids, a bunch of boys, right? Jacob commits the cardinal sin in parenting. Guess what he does? Moms and dads, you know. He chose a favorite. (laughs) And you can't do that because once you choose a favorite, all the other kids, of course, are hurt and disappointed. Well, he chooses Joseph, and he buys Joseph this really cool coat with a lot of colors. He puts it on. It makes him stand out. Now, of course, his older brothers aren't really happy about that, and Joseph has some dreams that kind of throw him off too, but they're mad at him. Remember, the seeds of dysfunction here start with the dad, so he sets him off to the side, but let's kind of see. We're going to start in verse 12. Let's just see what happens through this story. 
It says, Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go see if all all is well with your brothers and the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're grazing the flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dotham. But when they saw him from a distance, before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him in one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes from all these dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but do not lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and to take him back to their father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balms, and myrrhs, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. And after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where now can I turn? They got Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornament and robe back to their father who said, and said, we have found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many, many days. We meet Judah here for the first time. Now notice in the text, it seems to imply that Judah was a good brother by saying, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. But I commend to you, brothers and sisters, that's not so. Remember back in verse 18 what the scripture said? They all wanted to what? Who was the one who tried to protect him? It was Reuben. The Ishmaelites, the, uh, Judah's not being a good brother here and saying, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and maybe things will go well for him. He's going to be a slave and he assumes he's going to die there. They're going to work him to death. But he's saying, we'll kill him, but the blood will not be on our hands. So it seems like he's doing a good thing. But friends, he is not. Here, the Judah we meet here is selfish, he is vengeful, and he is cowardly. The next time we see Judas in chapter 38, I can't go through all these. I'm going to kind of, you can read it for yourself. I'm going to kind of surmise it. The first thing he does is he marries a Canaanite woman. Not a good thing for folks of this ilk. The next thing he does in verse 14, he refuses to give Shelah, his son, his third son, to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, to procreate for their family, which was custom of that day. He's not going to do that. Then he goes out to find a prostitute to sleep with in verse 15. Friends, he's not a good guy. He's thinking about himself and everything revolves around him. 
But as Paul Harvey always says, give me a slide. Another one. (laughs) There we go. There is the rest of the story. I want you to notice how Judah, king of selfishness and deception, responds when the shoe is on the other foot. When the deceiver and the cheater gets deceived himself. Look at chapter 38. See how he responds. And we're going to start in verse 24. So it's about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out here and have her burned to death. As, he, as she was being brought out, she sent a messenger to her father-in-law and said, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. He had thought she was a prostitute. He had impregnated her. He said, and see if you recognize whose seal and cords are on the staff. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I would not give her my son. And he did not sleep with her again. Friends, for the first time in Judah's life, he realizes that he's wrong. He's not going to blame anybody else. He's not going to blame his circumstances. He should have done the right thing by her. He didn't. She tricked him. He doesn't try to scam his way out. He doesn't try to make excuses. This is why I did it. These things happened and this is why I did that. He takes full responsibility for his error. He doesn't blame others. And from then on, friends, we are going to see a very, very different Judah when he makes that change in his life takes full responsibility for his actions and his life. Turn over to chapter 44. I'm going to set the context up a little bit. Again, the the, the Joseph situation didn't work out like they thought. (laughs) He, because of his faith and his commitment and his trust in God, rises up to the second in position in Egypt. Famine in the land. They all get hungry. So guess what they got to do? They got to go beg for food. And Joseph plays a little cat and mouse game with them a little bit. They they don't know who he is. They can't tell who he is. They go back and forth. He does this. Here's some food. Send this back. Silver in a sack. All those things. But finally, it gets to a point where you have to see the interaction they have. I want you to see the difference in Judah. We're going to start in verse 18 of chapter 44. It says, then Judah picked, went up to him and said to to Joseph, please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answer, we have an aged father. And there is one young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see for myself. And we said to our Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back and told your servant, my father, this, we told what he said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down if only our youngest brother is there to go with us. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. 
Your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me and said, He has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when we come back, to the servant your father and if my father whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life sees the boy isn't there he will die your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father I said if I do not bring him back to you I will bear the blame before you my father all my life now then please let your servant remain here as my lord's slave and place of the boy And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Friends, did you see the change? His circumstances are exactly the same. Last time it was his younger brother Joseph. His father's showing favoritism. He's given the younger son more. And you probably know a little bit about that from history. Older kids got more, not younger. Same situation, same father, a younger brother who's loved more, a younger brother who's getting more. All of his situations and circumstances are the same, but guess what? Judah's not. There was a change in him at some point when he stopped being the victim. He stopped letting other people's situations and what they do and what they think and how they treat him dictate his life. He is going to do what's right regardless. We are called to honor our parents. We are called to love our parents. His dad is the same selfish dude he was before. But guess what Judah does? His family situation has not changed. But he truly, truly loves his father and his brother and is willing to sacrifice himself. And again, think about it. With Joseph, what did it breed in him? The unfairness? You know, love-wise, physical-wise? He was bitter. He was mad. He was selfish. And he resorted to violence. Here, some 20 years later, I'll say it one more time, same situation, same father. He responds in a totally different way. And did you notice what he did in verse 34? Did you catch that? To me, that is one of the most powerful things of this entire narrative. What he did was he chose to offer himself in place of his brother to be a slave the rest of his life. And he did not want to bring misery to his selfish, dysfunctional Loving other kids more, Father. That's powerful. That's freedom. That's life. What I notice about him is his actions and what he does is no longer controlled by what other people do. You can reject me. You can cheat me. You can do those things. But I am going to do what is right from the inside. You can't mandate action like that by saying, here's a law to do these certain things. He changed from the inside. His heart changed. And no matter what happens, he was going to do the right thing. What happened was now, there's a higher purpose in his life than just him. I want a robe. I want more sheep. I want whatever. All those things are nice. But he doesn't live for himself anymore. And the big thing, friends, is this. He's no longer a victim. My dad did this, so I'm going to do that. My brother had these dreams, so I'm going to do that. He totally lives not for himself. And for the first time in his life, he is completely, totally free. What a beautiful thing. In Genesis 37 through 44, we see two people. 
main characters. We see Joseph, and I believe Judah's a pretty main character too. Two different brothers, two different situations, but two totally different paths. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, please. Matthew chapter 1. In the opening words of Matthew's gospel, he tells us that God is going to choose one of these brothers to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now remember, Joseph, totally obedient, always there, honest as a day is long. We studied Judah's struggles. So he's going to choose one of these brothers to be in the lineage of Jesus. Who would we choose? Wouldn't we choose the winner? (laughs) The one who's always done things right and held firm? Let's see who God chose. Matthew chapter 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Tamar, who was the mother. Perez and Zerah, who was the mother of Tamar. It wasn't the truly obedient, doing everything right, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's son that God chose to be part of the lineage of his son. It was Judah, the one-time scoundrel. I just think that's powerful. I ask you, brothers and sisters, at the beginning of this lesson, if you could choose one scriptural person to say, that's somebody I could relate to, I'd like to be like, I ask you who you would choose. And I also ask you to consider Judah. Now, Joseph would be a great choice. I'd love to be like Joseph. Really never doubting, always faithful. I'm in prison, doing the right things, honoring God, never going through all these depressions and things like that. I would love to be like Judah. But I want to ask you again, what about Judah? Brothers and sisters, Judah changed. He had a lot of life circumstances. We all have a lot of bad life circumstances. Some have worse than others, but we can't be trapped by those. He changed from the inside. He realized life wasn't about him. He came to the Father. He honored his Father. And in doing that, he gave himself for his brother. And he modeled somebody in his lineage who was going to give himself for all of mankind. And not just for all of mankind, he gave himself, Jesus Christ did for me and for you. He gave himself up for another. God chose Judah with all his flaws, with his checkered past, to be in the lineage of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that says volumes to me about the God I serve. Again, I ask you who would you choose, and I say consider Judah, please, and here's why. You know, in my life, my greatest desire is to honor God, to do what's right, to love him with all my heart and be obedient. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be unshakable in my convictions, obedient to the word of God. Again, when he went through for those 13 years, he never wavered. He stayed strong. He stayed committed. Man, I want to be like that. But if I'm really honest with myself, deep down, At times, I resemble Judah more than Joseph. I need God's grace. I need second chances and third chances (laughs) and fifth chances. I can tell you this, two sides of the coin. 
If you would have looked up the word heathen in the dictionary before 1987, my picture would have been there. I wasn't a nice guy. I lived like Judah totally for myself. But again, even after that, I try my best to do what's right. But I still have my times of depression and a little doubt here and there. It's getting better than it used to be. Still have my times when I want my irritations. Janet and Mark know about that. Man, I just want to be like the Father. And Judas shows me that no matter what I go through, past or present, God's not going to give up on me. With God, friends, it's not based on performance. You do these great things and God loves you a bunch. You struggle and God's going to kick you to the curb for a while. God will use us based on our heart and our love for him. And as we come to him, he will change us and mold us like we could never imagine. Some people used to tell me back in the day, they'd come and they'd say, I've done all these bad things. Or they'd say, I want to be a Christian, but I got to stop doing this and this and this and this. And then I'll become a person of faith. I said, man, if you can clean yourself up and do all that, why would you need Jesus? We don't clean ourselves up and say, I'll stop doing this and this and this and become a person of faith. Come to Jesus just as you are, with your failures, with your sin, and with your struggle, and have a truly repentant heart. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if you have that type of heart, and you repent, and you're baptized into Jesus, he will accept you just like you are. You don't clean yourself up, but he will not leave you that way. He will mold you, and he will change you into something you could never imagine. Well, here's our lesson point of the day. In God's eyes, it's not how you start that matters, but how you finish. And Judah finished strong. What does Jesus teach us? Give me some bullets here. No matter what we've done, we are not done. God can use us in spite of our past mistakes. We can live in freedom If we, like Judah, truly turn our lives to God, not just go to church on Sunday and do that religious stuff, give our heart to the Father, surrender totally to Him. And finally, again, it's not how we start in life, but how we finish. The most important way to do this, friends, is onefold. We are never going to fix ourselves. We are never going to change ourselves. We have a part in the process. Transformation only comes from the inside through the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And one of the most beautiful things about baptism, I love, if you read Acts 2.42, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the greatest changing source in all of history. God will change us from the inside out. And when he does, it's going to be awesome. He loves us with our failures and our everything else. He never gives up on us. But you know, it comes down to one point, friends. We can talk all this good stuff. We can talk about grace. But you have to be in Jesus Christ. You can't just say, I kind of love him and I want to play with him a little bit. We have to fully surrender, give up everything and follow him. And the process begins with repentance. I am not going to be the captain of my ship anymore. I realize it's my fault. I did it. I can't blame my parents, the butcher, the baker, or the candlestick maker. I accept responsibility like Judah did for my life. I want to change. I want to be different from the inside out. And the way we get that change is we repent and we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We're not baptized into the church of Christ or anything else. We're baptized into a person. Amen, church? Can I hear you? We are baptized into a person, a Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that promise is for everybody. And I want you to know today, that promise is for you. Do not leave this room not knowing that you're saved. Do not leave this room not knowing you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. If you do, there's going to be no change. You're going to be a victim. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be trapped. And you're never going to be free. God wants you to have life and life more abundantly, but it only happens through him. So I want you to know, friends, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not tonight. Right now is the time of salvation. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, repented of your sins, and been baptized into him, now's your moment. Let's take care of that business right now. But you know, in a room this size, I would say most of us have probably been baptized into Christ. And that's a great thing. But do you struggle? Can I get a head shake at least? Do you still pray? (laughs) That tells me you still struggle. (laughs) Sometimes to say, you know what? I'm in bad shape right now. I need the prayers of the church. I don't need any details or something like that. But I can guarantee you this. Whatever you're going through in this room, somebody else has already gone through. There's nothing new under the sun. We're not here to say, well, what did they do? We want people to be free. And sometimes confession is the road to healing. So if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, come, be baptized right now and be free. But if you are a person of faith and you're struggling, we care, God cares, and we can get through this thing together. You need to respond in any way. Please come forward while we stand and sing. Let us be faithful.